Shoulder of Orion is taking a break as we prepare for Alien Day. This week, we present our review of The Wonder, starring Florence Pugh. This was a powerful discussion that we hope you enjoy. To hear all of our frame rate reviews, go to bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support to sign up. Thank you. This is Framerate, brought to you by Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast, and Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner Podcast. Welcome to Framerate, your Patreon-exclusive film review show. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green and Micah Green. Hey, guys. Hey. So on this episode of Framerate, we are going to discuss the film, The Wonder, uh, which is which premiered on Netflix I can't remember the exact date, but Patrick, Mike, and I all watched the film together when I was at their house about a month ago, and uh, they were pleasantly surprised by the film, and Patrick and I were talking, and we were like, let's do a frame rate about it, and Patrick was like, Micah wants to be on. I'm like, awesome. So here we are. Demanded to be on it. (laughs) (laughs) She did. Uh, It was November 16th that it came out on Netflix. So uh, so almost exactly two months ago as we're uh, recording this, it's such an interesting movie and, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about some of the reasons why. And one of them, I think, is that it really feels like it's a horror film, even though it's kind of not. But there's such a sense of dread and such a sense of uh, danger in it in a very slow way that's really interesting. So it kind of feels like it's a horror movie, even though I mm-hmm. don't think I would call it one. Uh, it's a really interesting psychological portrait of of religiosity, of life in an earlier time, of the things we do for the beliefs we hold. Uh, and and it's like, a, it's a really complicated movie that I really enjoyed. And I got to say, like, I didn't know going into it if I would love it or not. Jamie was kind of selling it. And, and, you know, he he is he he bats close to 400 for movie recommendations. He's had at least one that I hated that he showed us, which we will not do a frame rate on. But this was one where I, I knew it was going to be good. But the moment that I knew it was going to be good was right at the beginning because the film opens and closes with this incredible conceit that reminds me a lot of sort of almost like French new wave cinema or like it's, it's so interesting. The film starts and ends with a film set. The film starts with this idea about stories and characters. And we're looking in this huge open studio lot in this hangar, you know, where they're filming and we gradually go all the way. The beautiful slow pan goes around the whole entire studio. And then we go into a boat. It starts on a ship. And then likewise, in the end of the movie, our characters get onto a ship and we leave the ship with the camera and we go back into the film studio. And that framing narrative really just hooked me so much. And I was on board from the moment that started. And uh, before we continue, let's give let's set this up a little bit. So, The Wonder stars Florence Pugh. I can't remember the name of the director. Bad Jamie. <laughs> it's uh, but, Seba- Sebastian Lelio. Okay, Sebastian Lelio. So the set it takes place in 1864 in Ireland. There is a young girl of 12 years old who hasn't eaten for four months, 
and she's miraculously alive. And there's the council of the small town in Ireland are suspicious about this. Some of them believe some people in the town and on the council believe it is divine appointment that it's it's the the work of God. But there's enough questions happening or coming to them that they decide that they're going to bring in people to watch this girl for two weeks. One of those persons is Florence Pugh, who's a nurse from England. The second is an, a nun from Ireland. Now, this is right after the famine in Ireland. And so the, the, the relationship between England and Ireland is really tense. It's really tenuous. So uh, a lot of the people in the town don't like that she's in the town. They don't like the English, but they also realize that something needs to be done. And the film sort of sets itself up from there. Yeah, right off the bat, it's it's very interesting, the tension that's created from the very fact that she's an English nurse. Um, And on one of the first scenes that you actually see our main character in Florence, um, I believe her name is Lib. Nurse Lib. Yeah, Lib, right. Lib Wright. Lib Wright. So Nurse Lib Wright is from England, and pretty much every character that she encounters once she arrives in Ireland makes mention of that. Oh, you're the nurse from England. Um, and she is immediately kind of thrust into this room where she's standing at a, a fairly big distance when you're giving an audience. But she's like, there's this huge gap between her and the and the people who have asked her to come. And it's all men. They're all sitting behind this table. They all have all of this authority that they're very clearly um, like lording over her right from the get-go. So she is there. She is there um, with the nun who, if I'm not mistaken, isn't she also a nurse? Um, but she's also she's from Ireland. So they are to switch um, shifts and they're going to be with this girl who hasn't eaten um, and just basically watch her, basically verify what they think is a religious miracle. Um, something that I really like as a nurse myself is that Florence's character immediately goes with the intent to do all of her assessments and all of her evaluations the way that she does them scientifically, clinically, as she does at home, um, which is already met with some 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 more tension there so that's that's something that you get right off the bat with this film and it's just really wonderful (laughs) title of the movie it's really wonderful to see just how great of a task is she's up against immediately um so yeah i think that's a major source of where this the kind of the horror feel to this movie comes from because she is such an outsider when she gets there and you think that she's going to be an outsider because she's this, you know, British nurse, but and and because she's a woman and she's in front of a council of men, but she's really an outsider because she's among believers who are very reluctant to accept the fact that this might not be true because everybody in this village is sort of pinning things on this miracle being true. Like they really need this to be true. I mean, these are people who have lived through catastrophe. These are people who have lived through famine, like Jamie was saying. Um, And so a miracle in that context is a huge deal to them. And you, you, you have to think that like Anna, the little girl must know that whether she's, you know, consciously kind of driving this or not. And I don't think she's, I think her mom really is. Who, by the way, is her actual mom in real life? Did you guys know that? I did. I just not found know that, that out. I just found that out when I was looking up the cast today. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, Elaine Cassidy is is Rosalind, the the mother, and 
uh, Kyla Lord Cassidy is her daughter. She plays Anna in the in the movie. Um, this was this was a place that needed a miracle, right? And so Florence Pugh's character Lib comes into that context potentially threatening that. And so when she stands in front of that council of the townspeople of these these you know these middle aged powerful men, that she feels that sense of like shrinking, like oh this is not. This is not the context that I wanted to be to be walking into. And yet she stands her ground, you know, and a, a major reason why the film works is because in spite of all these things, she still, you know, maintains a sense of priorities and of truth and of objectivity. And she's able to to ultimately triumph over it because of that, because she doesn't get swept up. But like what I love is that like you think that the narrative thrust of the movie is going to be. Like you really think it's going to be that you think it's going to be, oh, here's this outsider who's come in and she's trying to convince them of something and they're not going with it. And now it's up to her to convince them when in reality, the movie becomes it's up to her to for this girl to survive. Like she doesn't she ends up not even giving a fuck if anybody believes or not that this is real. Like halfway through the movie, it becomes clear that Anna is going to die if nothing happens because she cuts off access to the food from her mother. And then it becomes this survival story. Like, how can she get her out of this situation? How can she liberate this girl? And that, I think, is where the movie comes into its own because it becomes something else entirely. It's a very complicated, uh, for such a kind of simple movie, it's a very complicated one, too. It is complicated. And also what's interesting about the film is the atmosphere of it. The score is very non-traditional. It is a period film, but it's not a period film score. But at the same time, it almost feels like a period film score in a completely abstract way. There's a lot of human voices in the score. So it sets up this mood where, number one, the art direction in the film is just top-notch it is beautiful every shot is like a vermeer it is just gorgeous it looks like it was shot on film i don't know specific specifically if it was but maybe there was a transfer happening from digital to film and then back I, to digital. i think we, we looked it up while we were watching it because i because i was say, i said the same thing i was like this has to be shot on film and it was because it okay. was processed at a like kodak facility i think yeah, yeah it was beautiful really beautiful film but again you don't know if you're watching a horror film there's a lot in common with films like under the skin and um annihilation and uh the dark and the wicked a film that we all watched together which was very scary um but there's this mood about the wonder where you you don't know what world you've entered into and you really in terms of the way the film is set up you don't know if this world is a supernatural world. And I'm not even talking God, quote unquote. I'm just talking the the um the rules that we that they set up for the film itself. So you don't know what you're about to experience. You don't know maybe if she's being manipulated by a witch or, or or whatever. You don't know what to expect from one from one moment to the next. And I love it because it really it's it's unsettling. It's very unsettling. At the same time, what's happening with this girl is also very unsettling. You don't know. You don't know if she's lying. 
and you don't you, you don't want know what the truth is and the nurse and what's interesting about this film is the pov for at least in my experience of the film the pov isn't florence's pov or uh nurse libs pov the pov is almost like we're we're someone in the town just watching her watch this little girl and uh, the nurse and the nun are on eight hour shifts so they come in for eight hours and then one comes and replaces them and then the same thing repeats over and over and over and over for two weeks and i again i just really loved the tone and that tone set up against the art direction of the film and the cast and the uh um the location the house that they chose the exterior of the house you you walk into this house and you don't it's 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 foreboding um it's foreboding in the way alien is foreboding in its own way not quite to that degree but it's just really a, a triumph and um what i love about it is you know the title of the film is the wonder so part of it is in that title you're thinking oh the wonder of is she being touched by god and she's not eating or is or is it something different is it a lie and it ended up spoiler this is a spoiler episode everyone it ended up being a lie but the wonder happening in my opinion is the wonder of children and how resilient children can be and how nurse lib saw the wonder in this little girl and nurse lib has her own story as well so i thought it was just absolutely amazing i've seen it twice now I think it's really cool. Um, it's really, really about the ugliness of the truth versus the beauty of the miracle. And like you said, both you, Jamie, and you, Patrick, you said that the town doesn't want. So whether they actually believe that she has been touched by God and does not need to eat, or they kind of have a suspicion that something's going on, they don't want it to be the cold hard facts. They don't want it to be the truth. And what I love about Nurse Lib and I relate to it a lot is that like that's not good enough for her. Like she knows that there's a way that this is happening scientifically and clinically. There's a way that the child is getting nourishment. Um and she is exactly the person that needs to be in this child's life in this moment, because as we come to find out, it has been a lie and it has been manipulation of the mother, of the daughter. And I think the wonder, that title really reflects in every way how the movie changes, because at first it's the wonder of this miracle. And then it's literally wondering what it could be that's keeping her alive and then at the end, it seems to me it's the wonder of this new relationship, this redemption of Nurse Lib with her new daughter, for lack of a better term. Like it's it's like the title works on every level for this film. And it's really, really cool to see that that fight um that we that is often so compelling, that ugliness of truth versus beauty of miracle. And I just, I really love that Nurse Lib just, you know, there's several scenes of her literally laying awake at night trying to figure out what's going on because she has been watching this girl for some time and doesn't see her eat ever. So I just think that that's so fascinating and it really um, connects the audience with Nurse Lib. It connects um, the villagers around her that she kind of lets into her circle. Like I'm totally forgetting the gentleman who ends up being the love interest's name. 
Um, but he's kind of drawn to her for that reason as well. And it's just, it's just fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah. William, I think was the the guy's name, William Byrne. Um, you know, uh, going back for a moment to the score, Matthew Herbert won the BFI award for this score actually, which wow. is pretty awesome. That's amazing. And, and it's been nominated. The, the whole movie has been nominated in many categories. Um, I, I know it didn't get anything at the Golden Globes last week, I don't think. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe it's got a future somewhat on the award circuit to come because it, it really deserves it. Uh, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I think it's also worth pointing out just like the, the there's really amazing talent other than Florence Pugh in this. And I, lo- I think Florence Pugh is incredible, but it also has people like Toby Jones in it. It's got Kieran Hines in it, like two of my favorite character actors. Um, it's It's like a really stacked ensemble. And uh, in, in addition to that, it's based on this novel by Emma Donahue, which which uh, I haven't read yet, but I would really love to. So it really it's it's pulling a lot of influences from a lot of things, but it feels like it's something that could only exist in the form that it does as a film. And what I love, though, is that like I, I love the idea that it starts with this conceit that what you're seeing is fake, but the truth at the heart of it is not right. Like, I love how, you know, Jamie, when you're pointing out the house, right? The exterior of that house is a real, maybe it was built, I don't know, but it's a real house. But like all those interior shots are not shot inside that house. They're shot on a film lot, right? But like, and and they show you how they do it in the beginning. They show you how they light through the windows and how they get the lumens right. And they show you why it looks like daylight outside, even though it's not. And it's one of those things, I know Jamie's been on many movie sets. I've, I've been on a couple, Micah has too. Like when you see it in person, like it doesn't make it less magical. That's what's so fucking cool, right? Because you think like when you see these things in pictures, for example, when you see like a set on a sitcom or something and you see photos of it, like you you think, oh, it's like looks so fake when you like move back a little bit. But then you actually go on a back lot and you see when it's actually lit properly and you realize like in that one little pocket, something perfect exists in that time with those people. And the wonder as a story is kind of that also, but as a, in terms of making it so realistic, I love how like you forget by the middle of the movie that you already know what you're seeing isn't real. Like you totally get swept up in it. And the, the the objectivity of the film is just incredible. Like Jamie was saying, it doesn't feel like this is, it, it obviously feels like it's, it's, it's nurse Lib's story, but like we feel like we're kind of watching from a distance and we have to make decisions on our own as well as we're watching it. Like what we believe and what we don't believe or what we think or we don't think. And um, which is another really cool thing. And the last thing I'll say uh, before I turn it over again is the the manna from heaven idea is really is really interesting. And um, if anybody doesn't know the background of that idea, it's mentioned in the Bible a handful of times, uh, most notably in Exodus. Uh, and the idea is that it's this like holy nourishment that you can survive on for as long as you need to. So if you're, for example, being exiled, you can you know survive only on manna from heaven. Um, it's also mentioned in the Quran. It's it's this this idea of manna, not just being like magical food, but a specific thing you can eat that doesn't exist anymore is like a real biblical idea that goes all the way back. So there's magic at the heart of that idea too, right? That exiled people can survive indefinitely on this thing that only exists because God allows it to exist. And so like, there's a wonderment to that too, right? There's a wonderment to the idea of like, what if that is really what happened? Like, why, why don't we have that anymore? Where did it go? You know, why are, why are we not given that? And for a famine 
plagued people, the idea of manna from heaven is like, I mean, think about how resonant that would be for them, right? How resonant that would be that these people who were dying because they couldn't grow enough potatoes, like, like what if God just gave them food? So if there's there's a real sorrow at the heart of this whole thing too that I love. And 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 so many movies that deal with religion, and I say this as we've mentioned, you know, in numerous cases, I'm I'm an agnostic humanist person, uh, formerly pretty, pretty, you know, Christian, but not really as an adult. Um, and I notice when I'm watching movies that religion often gets a bad bad rap. Like a lot a lot of people kind of shit on it because it's an easy target in movies. Like it's easy to kind of make fun of the believers, you know, and things. But what I love here is that we're given so many reasons why they believe what they believe and why they kind of need to, why they cling to it, that we see them as people in addition to being believers in a miracle, right? They're not just like these idiots wagging their tongues, drooling, going, oh, it's so holy, you know, like they're real humans who, like, like just like real people who believe these things are, right? Because nobody is only one thing. And the movie does a really beautiful job of balancing that, I think. And even though it's clear to us within 20 minutes that like this is not actually what's happening and that we the nurse is correct, we still feel some degree of pain on behalf of the people who are clinging to this. But in addition to that, we have pain on other characters' parts as well. Like Jamie was mentioning, Nurse Lib lost a child, right? And like that, that trauma weaves its way throughout the entire film for her. Like that is a consistent motif with those little boots, right? That, that is a heartbreaking thing to think about and drives a lot of her inner life. And as soon as she leaves this, the miracle watch, you know, she has to knock herself out with narcotics to go to sleep. But likewise, William, her suitor, experienced the death of his family too, right? Like wasn't his family killed? And and so and that's something that is only mentioned a couple of times, kind of obliquely, but that is driving. That's an undercurrent of grief in his life as well. So like everybody here is coming from places of grief, and uh, and because of that, like we see the story with dimensions to it. Like we we we're allowed to to see the full picture of these people, and I think that is what good writing does. But it's also really what great directing does because we get a sense that this is real, that it's not just pity parties, you know, that these people really have shit in their closet and that shit in their closet is really driving a lot of what they're living. You talked about religion, Patrick, and that's something that I wanted to bring up. Um, I found the depiction of religion in this film fascinating, and it also reminded me of pagan paganism and witchcraft in some ways, where you see this little girl reciting this mantra over and over like it's a spell, like she's calling on God like it's a spell. And religion, in my experience in this film, became something more than just religion. It became almost... it it be it, it, yeah, it almost became like a, a version of witchcraft where you have these people who fervently believe that their God in some universe, in some heaven, um, has blessed them somehow, even though they both know that it, that's not the case. 
essentially what's happening is the mother is feeding the daughter um, food that she's eaten and she's kissing her daughter and she's passing food from her mouth to her daughter's mouth. That is how her daughter is surviving. Florence Pugh's nurse Lib catches on to this and then calls it out right away before the film is even over. So I would say midway through the film, she's like, this is what's happening. And of course, no one believes her. And there are people who believe her, but they don't want to believe her. But the family knows right away. Right when she discovers what's happening, she pulls the family away from her saying, you can have no contact with your daughter. And the mother and the father kind of look at her and they know that she knows that they all know that the gig is up. But then they realize that their daughter is probably going to die now. And uh, again, the way that this film casts religion, I wouldn't say it's, it's not, uh, it's not, Oh, what's the term I'm looking for? It's not in a good light, but it's not in a necessarily bad light either. It's just strange. It's strange to see these people huddling over this this book and their faith and these words like their incantations and spells. But at the same time, if you look at religion for what it is, and I'm talking Christianity right now, there's, of course, many religions in the world. If you take it to their bare bones, it's it's very similar to witchcraft, where they have spells and incantations. You're just looking from a different book and for different spells. And these spells go to the God that you believe that's up there. And the spells that maybe these pagan people believe go to the spirits of the forest or the animals or whatever. So there, it, it almost it's almost an equalizer. And it 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 again, it casts religion in a way that I've never seen religion cast before, in a way that I could look at it objectively and say, what makes this so different than, than this other belief that maybe Christians would call crazy? Because also remember what's going on in this time in other parts of the world are witch trials and persecutions and executions of women specifically for being witches. But at the same time, the dogma featured in Christianity is just as scary. It's just as, as ominous in the iterations that people are seeing at the time. So it's a, in some ways it's an indictment of religion, but it also isn't. And I thought it was fascinating. Um, the last point I make in, in this round. So at the heart of this story is abuse. This young girl was essentially raped by her brother and she feels horrible about it. She feels like number one, her brother has gone to hell. So that's a big thing that her brother is in hell. She believes it. Her mother believes it. So what she's doing, her mother knows she's atoning for that sin of her brother. And she's trying to get her brother from hell into purgatory or into a different place. And she believes that what she's doing, the sacrifice that she's making is going to allow that. Now on its face, that's fucking crazy. It's crazy. It's as crazy as people talking about other different forms of religion to people who aren't religious. Like if you, as an agnostic humanist, Patrick, if you meet someone, which I'm sure you've met people who might be pagan or witches or whatever, and you might listen to that and think, okay, that's interesting. That sounds kind of nuts, but whatever, that's what you believe. This really, again, equalizes these ideas of faith and what people believe and what they do when they fervently believe. But what's insidious about this is at the heart of it is shame. At the heart of this 
family is deep, deep shame. And this shame is driving them to make this little girl atone for her sins, her brother's sins, and also atone for what they believe is her own sin. Even though she didn't sin and it's bullshit, it was very traumatic and a horrible thing that she went through and just awful. Um, but they've turned to religion to atone her for it. And so it turns it into something different. It turns it into something wicked and insidious. And uh, I, I I love that. I don't know if I love that. I, I, I think it's interesting that the film really um, peels away all of the, the layers to that. And we're seeing um, what, what religious fervor the consequences of really dangerous religious fervor will do not just with people because the town is affected and many of the people in the town believe that what they're seeing is true. In the beginning of the film, uh, nurse Lib comes in the house and there are people up visiting this little girl and they leave money and there's a little box for money. So not only is she atoning for her sin and the sin of her brother in private, they're making money off of it too. So it, it I guess it is in some ways an indictment of, of the worst parts of religion. And uh, I, I, I feel like that can't be overstated enough. It's, it's really interesting because both of you mentioned like how people turn to religion as is depicted in this film in their most desperate hours and like the overarching existence of the famine and what everyone in that country went through, that's hellish. So you've got to know that most of them did turn, I'm sure, to their religion and those spells and everything that you're talking about, Jamie, that's like, that's what they do in their darkest hour, which is cry out to God to save them. And I think it just goes back to that everybody wanting the miracle to be real, wanting God to have saved someone, to made an appearance in this dark time, you know? So that's why they've become this, this like famous family now. Like we're, we're okay because God decided to touch this one little girl and that's proof that we're okay. And it's just, it's just, it's devastating because all of, all of that plus all the shame that you mentioned is riding on just the shoulders of this child who has gone through the unimaginable and she believes it's her fault. And it's absolutely heartbreaking that she is the one that has to atone for the sins of her brother. And I think it's really a statement on um, what it is to be a woman in that time. And it, what the treatment of Florence Pugh's character is also a statement of that. Um, I wanted to bring up bouncing off of that. Um, the way that eating is viewed in the movie is fascinating to me. Like, I think if I remember correctly, there's more than one um, sort of snide little glance at the nurse for eating when she's hungry. Um, there are comments about her eating too much or oh you need to eat again or like there's there's a lot of notice when nurse lib is eating and there's a lot of moments when the camera is trained on her face while she's eating because she's also thinking she's nourishing her body and she's nourishing her brain and it's working correctly um and i thought that was like so interesting the deprivation of food of this little girl who is tasked with absolving her family of this black sin 
um, versus like the shame that's subtly put on nurse live for eating. So it's like about nourishing and like giving yourself space to eat and, and be present and how that is manipulated by that world. Um, so I found that really, really interesting. Like m- on multiple occasions, we see the nurse sitting alone, quietly contemplating over whatever food she's been given. And there's multiple occasions where men are commenting on her eating or wanting to eat more. And even the other women do the same. Um, the innkeeper, that woman was commenting on the fact that she needed to eat um, and she was having a hard time putting food on the table for everyone. And now she has another mouth to feed. So the the idea of eating and nourishment and who is allowed to eat and who is not allowed to eat, who has to starve is a really strong theme that I think is very powerful in this film. That's a, that's a great point, Micah. Um, and you know, the kids remember that like when she's in the inn, the children are just sitting on the stairs watching her eat. Like there's all these moments like that where we are, and it also, it not only gets at the nourishment theme and the idea of food, which is clearly ever present in this film and this time period, but it also gets something, it gets something else that I wanted to talk about, which is the beautiful rhythm that this movie takes on because she has to do these little cyclical shifts, right? And we're kind of, we're kind of given the assignment with her at the beginning when she's, when she hears what she has to do. And then we kind of live that with her. Like we we go through this day with her and then she goes to sleep and we go home with her. We see her eat. We see her do this ritual where she mourns her child and she tries desperately to sleep. And then we see her wake up, get her stuff on, go out the door again. Then we go through that probably four or five or six times in the movie, these, these, these days and um, you get a real sense of what that experience was like for her, but also this real sense when she leaves of, oh my God, I hope that Anna is still alive. I I don't know why I forgot about the brother situation until you were both mentioning it, but like I think I might have honestly kind of repressed that because it was so horrible. Like that is a that is an enormous part of this movie that I think drives tons of of narrative <laughs> events. And it is maybe the perfect example of what I was talking about earlier, which is where we are given a really important inciting event for all of the principal characters in this movie. Like we understand their motivations in a very deep way because we understand something traumatic that is that is driving them, you know, and a lot of movies don't do that. And it's not like you need to like, I mean, there's plenty of films like Alien is a great example of a movie where we don't really know like what anybody's doing in the course of the film. We don't really know their background, but they're just sort of there and they feel believable as characters. But in this movie, like there's this clear template set up, which is there is something dark driving the actions for pretty much all of the characters. And as soon as we hear that from Anna, and of course we learn that in the same time as we learned the whole manna from heaven was her mother and all of these things become unlocked about halfway through the movie. It really changes everything, you know, like it changes everything for us, but it really changes everything for nurse lib because that's when it becomes, okay, this girl has to survive and we have to get her out of here. Right. It's also worth noting, you know, Jamie, you're talking about different religious traditions and things. The place where she brings lib and not lib, the place, the, place where Lib brings Anna to quote unquote die is what's called a Cludy well. Uh, and that is like an ancient Celtic traditional spring that you find all over like the Isle of Man and Ireland and Scotland. 
And it's it's this like holy water that's like been blessed or it's considered sacred. There's usually a tree next to it. And uh, people pray for healing and supplication by tearing strips of cloth and drip, putting them into the water and then tying it to the tree with a prayer. So like that, that clearly from an, an, you know, an imagery and a metatextual standpoint is getting at that same idea that like, this is not a Christianity thing. Like this is, this is like a people need to believe in miracles sometimes when they're in traumatic situations, you know, the times where I've come closest to being religious again, are the times where people I love have been in danger as an adult, you know, I mean, I prayed once in the last 20 years and you probably know when that was like, that's, that's something that I think we've all been through. Like we, there, we reach a moment where something happens and we say, I don't know anything. And I'm going to pray that the universe answers me because I don't have anything else, you know? And and what we get is a movie that's really a meditation on that idea, right? Like what happens when you're pushed to the place where all you have left is hope for a miracle? Uh, and in, in a way, we get it, you know, that our nurse character gets a miracle at the end of the movie because she gets a child too, which is something else that I think I'm just now considering. You know, she lost her kid and that was, that drove everything for her, right? For the whole rest of the movie. But like part of me feels like in saving Anna and taking her along with William to Australia, where I think they're sailing in the end of the movie, that is her chance to f- not necessarily put the, put her child's death behind her, but to try to build something new. And maybe she'll sleep better after that. You know, like there's there's a sense of 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 a wonderful cycle, you know, at play there too. It's it's just it's such a cool movie. It really is. Uh, to that point, Patrick. There's this dynamic happening where you have Nurse Lib, who's lost a baby when the baby was three weeks old, and how that has just devastated her life, but her very inner life. On the out, on the outside, she's very strong, quote unquote. She's very, she's of of sound mind. She's with it, um, but internally, she's just again reliving that devastation over and over and over, and mourning the loss of that child. Conversely. You have this other family who is losing a daughter and they're doing nothing about it. They're like, oh, well, that's just, this is what we do. And that juxtaposition, and you see uh, Nurse Lib like, your daughter's dying. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you do-? like, she, she'd be, and she, she even says it to William, like, I want to save this girl. Like, if no one else is going to, I'm going to. That's how sacred this child's life to her is. And it's not, and it is sacred because she also has personal experience. And I, I'm not of the, you know, we've had this discussion in our alien show in terms of like Ripley and them showing Ripley having a daughter before. So it may, then when Ripley finds Newt, it makes it all the more powerful because Ripley lost a daughter. I'm not, I don't really believe that that's like, that has to happen. You don't always have to have a personal experience in something to be a good person or to respond to a situation uh, in a way that's human and moral and moral in a, in a non-religious way, moral in a, an objective way. Um, But I loved the, you know, the tension between essentially this very non-religious woman and this very religious family in religious town and the morality difference happening there um for the morality of this one woman she's like this girl is dying and you guys are just letting her die and the other the other side is well this is how it goes this is our religion she's going to die she's got to atone it's horrific and in some ways this is a horror film in my opinion um 
that dynamic is horrific. And also part of this is, and to me, this is, this gets to something even worse. Now I have to say just to our patrons, because these are the only people that are listening. I am someone who's spiritual. I do believe in higher power. I do believe in something larger than myself, larger than ourselves at work. What that is, I don't know. But I, I, and I, I think the only thing that you could know from it is it's love. And that's all that I know. However, in the, in, in this film, religion and the people interpreting religion have convinced a little girl that she is bad, that she is full of shame. And to me, that is one of the worst sins possible. And I don't believe in sin or any of that shit. Like that is, like that is a a moral offense to convince a child that 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 your idea of God has now condemned them. Like I grew up in religious shame. I grew up with people telling me that if I ever left the cult that I grew in, grew up in, I would be dead of AIDS three years later. Like this is I grew up in, a, in an environment where people said that God's punishment to gay people was AIDS. Um, I know, like, I'm still shaking that off. I'm still sh- like, I, I don't mean to get wholly personal, but this film was personal to me in some ways where I, I waited until I was 31 years old to have sex because I was terrified of it, terrified of sex, thinking that God's going to kill me if I do this. And even when I was in my early, early twenties and I was living with my grandmother, I met this guy on some, on like Yahoo personals back in the day or whatever. And, um, I remember leaving the house and feeling guilty about it, but and I said to God, you can kill me after this. That's okay. I, I said to it out loud to myself that God could kill me. So this is the most insidious part of this movie is the fact that this little girl was convinced by people who didn't know what the fuck that they believed that their God was going to take her life because of what she participated in. And that to me is so powerful. And the most moral loving person was the non-religious person. So I know that that was intense. I apologize for it, but it just, it's really powerful to me. One thing I wanted to bring up to, to go off of that too, is um, at the end of the film, when Lib effectively saves Anna and she's quote unquote reborn as Nan, um, she, almost performs this sort of pseudo-religious act. There's a lot of um, holiness or sacredness to fire, no matter what religion you have, no matter what form of paganism or witchcraft or whatever you believe. Fire as an element um, has historically been a part of religious ritual and um, pagan ritual. And I think it's really... um, not a coincidence that at the end, Nurse Lib sets the house on fire and she sets her own laudanum bottle on fire. She destroys both her addiction and her um, sort of everything that's holding her back and everything that's holding Anna back at the same time in this kind of glorious fire to release them both and to cleanse them and, and to like let them be free and um, start their own new life. And I think um, you shouldn't apologize for being intense, Jamie, because it is that intense of an experience to watch this film. And it touches on things that I think any human being should get riled up about, which is 
um, the blame of something so horrible as the rape that her brother committed against her on this poor little girl whose childhood was taken away from her in that one moment. So I think as an audience, that part where the, where the house is set on fire and we know that Anna slash Nan is finally safe with someone who can actually take care of her as she should have been taken care of from the start. It's so like cathartic. It's so amazing to watch that terrible room burn where she was so sick where she believed that she had to be sick for something that was not not at all her fault. And um I think it's it's what's the word I'm looking for? It it like it inspires passion in people who watch it because they're liberated. Like she is saved. The right thing occurred finally in this moment. And it is just calcified in this burning of the house and burning of the laudanum bottle. And they all escape. Um, to go start their new life in Australia. And it's, it is, it's like watching a film that, that, that is that disturbing at times, that is that intriguing and bends at your mind and pulls at your heart a little bit to have like a climax like that is just so rewarding, I think. Um, And to go back to what we were saying before, it, it is disturbing. And I feel like throughout the whole film, we're trying to put together the puzzle. And I think you mentioned, Jamie, that it's like, sometimes we're like, well, wait a minute, like, is it a miracle? Is, is she actually not eating? Just like um, Nurse Lib is is kind of, at one point, she's thinking, well, what am I missing? I can't be missing anything. And then she finally figures it out, of course. So to have it all culminate in this big house fire where that terrible place is burned down um, and... Lib is finally releasing herself of that um the narcotic solution to her her woes is just a beautiful um end to that story. Yeah. And just to echo Micah, you should never apologize for being intense, Jamie. That's one of the things we love about you. It's one of the things our patrons are giving us their hard-earned money to hear. So don't ever apologize for that. Um, the last thing I'll say as we close is like, to, maybe this is my personal reading of it. And maybe this is like getting out of the film too much. But to me, a major issue that I have with a lot of organized religion is that there's this emphasis on uh, emphasis on miracles as things that are extraordinary. So like we're kind of waiting for signs because something magical happens and, uh, and that that's, what's miraculous. When in reality, like uh, to me, what's miraculous is it surrounds me like every day. Like I live my life in a state of near constant bewilderment at how fortunate I am to witness the things that I'm here to witness, you know? And I think a lot of the time what can happen if religion is not used in, in constructive ways is people start looking outside for things that aren't here to be magical when the magic actually was here with them the entire time. Like the magic is, is the magic of feeling your child's hair on your fingers, right? The magic is, is when you laughed so hard, your stomach hurt because you were with a friend you hadn't seen in years. Like that's, that's miraculous, right? To, to me. And so that's why what I love is that the, at the end, the wonder that the movie really is about is the wonder of the love and the connection that she makes with this little girl and that she's able to save her. 
which is something that is really miraculous. And it's not where I thought the movie was going whatsoever. I really did not anticipate that happening. And I'm so glad that it did because the movie was not cruel, right? Like this, this movie could have been so cruel. It, it could have gotten away with it too, because what's happening in terms of the actions these people are perpetrating, they're, they're, they're evil actions. Like they're murdering a child in the name of a rapist. Like that's, it's fucking atrocious. Right. But the people are still treated as humans who are suffering. And the escape at the end of the movie, isn't this like, you know, heroic Avengers, you know, end game, everybody getting together to like triumph over evil. It's this very quiet act of beautiful heroism that is done on terms that speak to Anna, which is also really empowering and beautiful. She allows Anna to die so that Nan can come back to life. She uses Anna's beliefs in a really constructive, beautiful way that actually does them justice. That's amazing too. It would have been so easy for her to just abscond with Anna, to just like put her over her shoulder and you know, her fireman carry her out of the house as she lit in a fire and just get out of there. But she doesn't. She takes the time to rescue her first by allowing her spiritual self to hear the message that it needs to hear, which is that it's done its job. And that you can let go now, you know, and that maybe, maybe you can seek for spiritual benefit elsewhere. Maybe the manna from heaven is, is the manna of being held by somebody you love as you cross of ocean voyage together. Right. So I really think it's a, it's a layered, beautiful film and, uh, and it's an easy film to overlook. Like I, I had no interest in seeing it until you brought it up, James. I, I just thought it was like, I, I really, even when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, that's like that that Irish period piece, right? And you're like, no, it's so much more than that. It really is so much more than that. Like it's a movie that you should not, if, you, if you're if you not like a huge costume drama person, like I'm, I, I don't like, you know, BBC shit. Like I get you. It is not just that. It is a very layered narrative that again is shot borderline postmodernistly, but still with that beautiful Vermeer-like, you know, that chiaroscuro and the depth of shade and light with this very abstract score. It's just a really artful movie in the true sense of the word that has at its heart a very beautiful, simple message, which is really that love is the thing that will keep us together, right? And that's like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's the wonder that we live with. Well said. I do want to mention this one thing um, in terms of manna from heaven. In the Bible, Yes, it is mentioned in Exodus, but it's actual manna falling out of the sky, and then they the the people bring out their their bowls and their containers, and they gather it falling out of the sky, and then they use it to eat. And they it was literally manna from heaven. It's a story from the Bible that plenty of people believe that God sent something from the sky, and that's what they ate during hardships. And I think it was the Israelites, I believe. Um, so it's it's something that was really real, but. What I think is so interesting about this film is from the beginning, it's a lie. It's not, and certainly we don't really know what's happening until Flor, uh, Nurse Lib figures it out. But from the beginning, the family knows it's not true. The family knows this is what we're doing. It's a way for us to make money, essentially, which kind of rings familiar with a lot of religious Folk. Now, I do have to say there are plenty of people who are Christian and of many faiths who are amazing, wonderful people, my parents being two of them, who aren't bogged down by dogma. Um, so, But this is not that story. This is a story of insidious religious behavior. Um, but unfortunately, I think the, lar the larger voice of religion in today's world, and certainly a hundred years ago, is not a good story. I mean, the, the, um, the witch trials were 
fueled by religious fervor. The um, the Inquisition was fueled by religious fervor. Uh, factions of our government are fueled by religious fervor and this idea of um, of like moral purity in their eyes and what that is and just lots of bullshit. So these are very real things happening today. A lot of people still believe these things happening today. A lot of people still believe that women shouldn't be able to talk in church. People still believe that women should have their heads covered. And one thing I did want to really mention quickly as we wrap this, and I know, Micah, you touched on it briefly, is the idea of who is listening in this movie. When Nurse Pew is talking, I'm sorry, Nurse Pew, when Nurse Liv is talking, I'm the film is really also a, a big undercurrent is who's listening? Who's really listening? Nurse Lib is talking to them, but they're not listening to her. They're not listening to anyone. No one is listening. They're only hearing what they want to hear. And even when she speaks the truth, maybe you see one of the, the men on the um, the council kind of believe her and and say, okay, this she's doing what we brought her here to do, but no one is listening. And even when they're like, no, you're done, when she said, hey, this is what's happening, um, and they're like, well... And she's like, well, you can keep the money or whatever she says. She's like, I don't, this is the truth. I'm not lying to you. So even when she says the truth, they don't believe her. And that's happening a lot in the film where people are talking, but not everyone is listening. No one's really fully listening. And I think that that is really, I don't know when the writer was writing this this screenplay, what the themes, the intentional themes that they were putting into this story were or are. But I also I came away really with the impression of we need to listen better when people are talking. We really, really need to listen. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I can't recommend this movie highly enough to people. It is not what it seems. The the marketing, Netflix's marketing is shit. It's garbage. You don't really know what you're seeing. They're, they're terrible at it. You have to see this movie. Uh, unfortunately... For those who who haven't seen it, hopefully you're not listening to this, because if you haven't seen it, we've spoiled the fuck out of it. But I, I just can't recommend this movie enough. It is a movie for everyone. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, so much. And we have a bunch of new patrons that, I mean, I feel like we got we got like five new patrons in the last week. And yep. you're getting shout outs on our full episodes. We're a little bit ahead of schedule on our shows at the moment. But when we record again in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be putting your names out there. So um, so be on the lookout. And welcome to the family. Thank you for supporting the show. And uh, yes, we have thank you. so much to show you. So thank you for being here. Thanks for coming on, Micah. Thanks for having me, you guys. 